Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, Channel 33's presenting sponsor and the best app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Their newest feature is SeatGeek Marketplace. It's an easy way to sell tickets without getting hijacked by ridiculous after-the-sale costs. Go to SeatGeek.com BS to learn how to buy and sell tickets on SeatGeek. And don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app, enter promo code BS, and SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by HBO. You don't need cable or satellite to watch your favorite HBO shows and movies anymore. Just download the HBO Now app and start your free one-month trial today. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan and I am joined on the couch by Andy Greenwald! I'm here! What's up, man? Can we talk about our new theme music? Yeah, Jason Gallagher and Dustin Ragland hooked us up with a little bit of this 97 Cappadonna stuff. Shout out to Just Blaze's drum library. Yo, it's a little bit like horrorcore. I like, feel like I'm in I'm in slang prostitution territory. Like I guess no, it does feel like grave diggers. Grave right. diggers a little yeah. bit. It's grimy. Yeah, yeah. Are are we grimy? <laughs> are we horrorcore? I mean, we're recording this podcast at like, I don't know, like, what is it, 7.50 p.m.? So that's kind of rough. Tate definitely looks scared. Yo, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, well, we're talking a lot about the Leftovers finale. Yeah. And then uh, in a semi, quasi, you know, like regular appearance of Andy <laughs> Greenwald, cineast, This is good. Cinema lover. Cineast. Yeah, Cine- listen, this is, a lot of people who listen to our show and our old show know that, you know, I... I didn't go to the multiplex as much no. for a couple of years, but now I'm relatively free free man, and I've I've seen some stuff, and so I flew out here. Yeah, I'm here in Los Angeles, California, and uh, saw some movies on the plane. <laughs> is, we got a lot to talk this about. Is a scintillating. This intro. is going to be the hottest <laughs> film conversation of March 2015. <laughs> Nothing like Andy getting in on the gambler real mm. late. Uh, mm, how could you let this go on without me? Buddy, let's do in and out real quick before we get to the leftovers, yes. because I know a lot of people want to hear about that. Dozens of people. Uh, let's just talk really quickly about the Grammy nominations. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just run down the record out. of the year. Out. The record of oh, the year nominations. We're going to talk more specifically? And the album of the year nominations. Then we're going to talk about the Grammys as an institution. Out. Uh, record of the year is Really Love by D'Angelo and the Vanguard. Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. Blank Space by Taylor Swift. And Can't Feel My Face by The Weeknd. Can I ask you something? Yeah, sure, man. Have you ever heard an Ed Sheeran song? Yeah. Uh, you have? I, I listened to a lot of the radio coming into work with Juliet. Whitman. Oh, uh, and she controls the dials. Well, no, but she's just an avid pop fan. She has a lot of, uh, she feels, I feel like she's been keeping up on Ed Sheer- Sheeran's comings and goings. Right. I didn't know that dude liked to party. Does he? Yeah. Does he like to get wet off of a variety of illicit substances? He does, which is cool because he also looks like uh, Gimli the dwarf from like Lord <laughs> of the Rings. I gotta say, I don't, I've ne- I, I, I am serious, you know, I have never heard an Ed Sheeran song. I don't know what he sounds like. I assume it's not Gravediggers, but I did hear him <laughs> on New York's uh, Breakfast Club morning show where he was holding his own with Charlemagne the God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of his thing. In. I think he likes to. I like. I think that his best comparison point outside of music would be Ray Velcoro. I think that's first of all, it's fair. He certainly looks a lot like his son. By like that Chad, token, are you? Does that mean you're voting for him for, with your Grammy vote? Are you voting for him for Record of the Year? I, I am yeah, correct in saying that he and Chad Velcoro are separated at birth. Is that right? <laughs> like they look alike. They do look alike. But in general, are you roll, are you writing for this guy because you just believe in no, red-haired no, guys no who like rap music? Him. Like I have no is... opinion about him. I think it's just one of those things that that the United Kingdom spits out once every ten years, where you're just like that guy cannot be famous. Yeah, 
You're and right. it's just like, nope, he's famous. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah. It's a pretty uh, funny little island. Like it was, I, I mean, no no shots, but like Corden, that's a that's like, a Hail Mary caught like, by Des Bryant in the corner of the end zone. James Corden. That, that dude is just a famous guy. Well, yeah, but he, he's sort he's of like He's committed to this song and dance, and he's a very he's charming a jack individual. Jack of all trades. Right. But I like I remember like even back on Gavin and Stacy, I was like, this guy can't host a late night show. Oh, back in, in the, the Gavin and Stacy days, yeah, you throwing it all the way back. You know how I like to stay out there on the British British airwaves. All right, which one of these records do you want for record of the year? Which one would you vote for? Not Sheeran. I mean, he, other than Sheeran, that's a pretty blank sol- space. Can't feel my face. Thinking out loud. That's Uptown a, Funk and re- really love. That's a super solid list. So you, I'm, you, I'm a little surprised. Like the the when you're at like a, a like a old timey cocktail bar. You're having like mm. you know somebody is pouring like a distilled gin over like a lime directly, and chartreuse directly into You're my mouth. Like I'm really into really love. Yes, but uh, other than that, I mean to be. Th- let's also be clear here. Like record of the year is the category that that it's everything that went into the recording. Song of the year is yes. a songwriters award. The work of the work of Josh Blair and this is like the production award, right? Hannah, yeah. Um, I think that. God, I probably can't feel my face. Okay, over I, over blank space and uptown well, funk. I think blank space is a better song. I really like that song, um, and I think that the other one that I would consider would be uptown funk because that is a whole. I mean, that is a producer's song. It's mm-hmm. credited to to your man Mark Ronson. I love how traditional you are in your reading of the the. the I, Constitution I thought we were just going to joke about the Grammys, but now you know. Once you start saying Chad Velcoro, my ears perk up. Um, <laughs> yeah, what do you what what, what do you got? Uh, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Uptown Funk, like as a record of the year. Like I think yeah, I like everything else on D'Angelo's record more than anything here. Like Black Messiah is one of the best albums last year. Yeah, but um, I like sue me. I like the idea of the Grammys actually accurately capturing the zeitgeist of a year a little bit. And if that's that's not a bad list, right? Well, okay. So that being said, let's check out album of the year really let's quick. Let's check it out. Um, Sound so, and Color by the Alabama Shakes, right? Or Alabama Shakes. Uh, to Pimp a, Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar. Uh-huh. Traveler by your boy Chris Stapleton. Mm. 1989 by Taylor Swift. Beauty Behind the Madness by The Weekend. Where's Beach Lang? <laughs> yeah, they must have just, they were sixth. Oh, it was like an eligibility <laughs> yeah. thing? Um, it, it's, it's, it's Taylor Swift, right? You think 1989? Yeah, I mean, first of Over all. Over to, to Pimp a Butterfly? Well, again, I, I, I don't trust the Grammys as arbiters of, like, what's really, really good. But I would also say, you know, this is maybe not the most popular opinion, but I think 1989 is a probably, it's a more concise and consistent record. To Pimp a Butterfly is a fascinating record made by a brilliant genius, but I don't love that record. I, I love a lot of it. 1989 on the low has, like, five good songs. Whoa. And then, like, To Pimp a Butterfly is a better album statement. But to Pimp, I actually does To Pimp a Butterfly have five good songs? It's five good songs. I mean, I, no, but I think as an album, it's like a more cohesive Have statement. you heard Ryan Adams' cover of To Pimp a <laughs> Butterfly? <laughs> because once you sort of like acoustic guitar, like yeah. 41-year-old white dude no, strumming it. <laughs> you can't take shots at 41-year-old white dudes when you're out here like 1989 is better than To Pimp a Butterfly. Also, when we're all going to be 41-year-old white guys sooner than we realize. <laughs> Look, all I'm going to say is that you should hear the way Ryan Adams sings the opening lines of All Right. Yeah. When he's like, all's my life. <laughs> I had to strum. It's a surprise interpolation, but it's very moving. And then the Johnny Marr guitars come in like, <laughs> yeah, and then he makes other Daydream Nation uh, reference. My my bold prediction is that Alabama Shakes win this award. Interesting. Just on some like that's like the curveball. But uh, my in and out question, which you have to answer mm-hmm. in one or two words, uh, one word would be: Are you in or out on like caring about the Grammys? 
I'm so out. I, I haven't cared so about the Grammys let's just in 20 move years. On, <laughs> uh, you know, interestingly, this podcast would have had a very different opening if that had been your first question. <laughs> because it would have been shorter? Because we would already yeah, be on uh, to. Very quickly, we talked a lot about Creed last week. We did. Um, and the, the, the talents of its director, Ryan Coogler. Yeah, Coogs. And uh, as soon as like, the box office receipts started coming in for that movie, I feel mm-hmm. like my man got attached to a lot of different projects, mm-hmm. a lot of different IP. But the big thing was uh, Black Panther, which is a movie that has been passed around a little bit. Ava DuVernay was yeah. in talks or possibly linked to directing it and walked away from the project. Uh, and now Ryan Coogler, which is probably like the hottest young director in Hollywood, is being attached. Is Let me just say, my feeling is Marvel absolutely floated that he was attached before he even like picked up the phone right they marvel you know for reasons both i think worthwhile virtuous honorable and true would like an african-american director for the film of their african-american superhero mm-hmm. as but, you as you stroke a white cat listening to to 1989 you say that <laughs> <laughs> well i'm again i'm listening to ryan adams version of it but uh ryan right, adams's right. version of black panther <laughs> it is super mellow yeah it's pretty surprising yeah um but they it also for them to be able to say like it's we're not just this isn't they're not just looking for a, a quota hire they're actually like this guy is the best young yeah. action also franchise potential director I think there can, is I, I think you should I, aim higher I, I think that he shouldn't do it I think he would make a, the best possible version of that movie but yeah. those movies have proven that they don't let they don't let people live yeah ask Edgar Wright about that yeah so I th- I, I think I think I, I think Coogs has shown what he can do with with IP. <laughs> You've been in L.A. for like 10 minutes, and you already sound like an asshole. Cougs can do IP. <laughs> um, okay, we're both so, out on that idea. Out. Yeah, uh, this is going to be an easy one, Andy. The Red Band trailer of Shane Black's new film, The Nice Guys, in. starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, in. coming out next summer, set in 1970s Los Angeles. Can I say something? Yeah. The trailer could have didn't need to have all the like the cursing, the violence, and yeah. the three minute runtime. It could have just been the neon font, and it could have said Los Angeles, nineteen seventy seven, from the director of Iron Man three, and I would have just thrown my money. It's also out like of my rental Shane car. Black also wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and wrote Lethal uh, Weapon two, Lethal Weapon, which is Lethal, Weapon, Lethal Weapon two. Weapon. He actually got taken away from. Him oh right, he Lethal didn't Weapon. want he he didn't want Mel Gibson to live in that movie. That's right. Uh, he also is, appeared in Predator. He did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, he did, yeah. And uh, it's funny that Iron Man 3, like, from the director of Iron Man 3... Well, first of all, that's a real director's movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's you like, know what I mean? it's like, like from, from the greatest auteur of our time, like, who you may remember from lighting Guy Pierce on fire <laughs> 15 times in, in Iron Man 3. In hushed tones around the DGA, you know, yeah. they're all like, well, you know... Did you see, did you see some of the tracking work on... Uh, the mise-en-scene when yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow becomes living plasma. Yeah. Rebecca was Hall was r- ravishing. Really breathtaking. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in, like, more than I'm in for possibly, like, the birth of a child. Why aren't all movies like that? Like, just have some fun. Just- well, and that's good that you point that out. Because you know what I really am in on? Fun Gosling. Because yes. Gosling was trying a little hard to be fun in Crazy Stupid Love, and it looks like he's trying hard in Big Short. I'm sure it's a good movie, but it's like the... Just he looks like he's trying on some accents and some wigs and whatever. Be your best self, Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Swear a lot. Get your arm broken by Fat Russell Crowe. Man, Russell Crowe. And save Margaret Qualley from the underworld of Los Angeles. Russell Crowe takes to this role like Russell Crowe takes to a dinner plate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. Russell, I was gonna say he, he's hungry for a role. He, he, he doesn't. He doesn't look like he's been that. He's hungry. the only guy who goes to Long John Silver's and only eats bread. <laughs> 
He's like, bring me the rolls. Save the silver. He's like, I'm not really a big fish guy. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like seafood, mate. But uh, you know what I do like? Do you have satellite TV? Can I get some rugby in here? <laughs> no? How about some more rolls? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, great. Oh, that movie looks fun. Uh, so uh, in on the oh, nice guys, <laughs> out on Black Panther and the Grammys. It sounds like we're, we're two people who should be hosting a pop culture podcast. Do you know what I'm in on? What's that? Recording a podcast with you on a lovely sectional couch. I thought when we sat down that this was not going to go well because it's a little too soft. We like, don't have I like to get to... meta just because you're here. No, I just wanted to tell you that like it's very comforting. It's lovely to see you. Let's talk about... I, I, um, I was talking about the couch, not you. Reuniting but... like families and death and loss and grief mm. and crickets and boxes and Dead. dogs that go and stay yeah. and live Tyler. Isn't that what all dogs do? <laughs> There's a killer definition of dogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about the leftover season finale. Yeah. Um, we don't know if this season there's gonna be a third season. No, and interestingly, not many people seem to like. Usually, yeah, certainly, usually there's been a renewal at this point for a lot of shows. But but the second thing to say is that usually people kind of know, um, even if they're not saying. And I, Jeff, I definitely get the sense that they don't really yeah. know. Um, and then they're gonna. Lindelof told Steppenwall that they're gonna have to figure it out pretty soon. Yes. Um, my, my feeling is, from a big picture perspective, um, the relationship is valuable to HBO. HBO is one of those networks, probably the original network to do so. Um, they really care about how their shows are received yeah. um, and the critical buzz surrounding them. Um, that's been a lot. That's been the conversation when we talk about FX, about how, like, why the Americans. Yeah, we talked about renewed. that last week. Like, how but do you run that network without a major cash cow? HBO is a cash cow. I mm-hmm. mean, I they, we, they may be one of the sponsors of this podcast, weirdly, today. But they uh, they care, I think. That yeah. People like The Leftovers now, and they want to do that. Here's the other thing worth saying about it. Their drama slate going for the next year or two is very much in flux and in question. Okay. We don't know. We have vinyl, but after that, there are a lot of question marks, including your man, Nick Pizzolatto's show. We don't know what's going on with that. So I think they would like to have something coming back that may seem like a softball question to start this with be like what you, you know is it coming back but the reason why i think i asked that was because i'm not sure if it should and i don't mean that in any way hostile towards the endeavor which i think this season was it's great. fantastic but as it ended and as obviously we're going to talk very specifically about the show so if you're not caught up you might want to skip to the next section as the uh episode and season ended and Kevin found a degree of peace, and the Garvey family was reunited with all its loose ends coming together. Mm-hmm. And even the Murphys, even though we don't know, you know, the fate of Evie or whether Erica and John are still an item, and where how Michael's feeling about the resurrection of Kevin Garvey and the death of his grandfather, Likely they're still an item. All this stuff. You don't believe in Jerrica? Jerrica. <laughs> I do. Um, I almost feel like it would be cruel put some of these people through the ringer again that's obviously not the job of television to worry about that yes but it ended at a place where it w- it felt like these characters had a lot more peace of mind than they did in the end of the first season and i kind of am a little bit loath to go back into this and put kevin and nora through more stuff i completely agree with that i think so much of what was good about the season we've talked about all the really really brilliant and clever ways that damon lindelof and his team basically um took things that weren't working and steered them into a place where they were. Sometimes those decisions were really just doing direct 180s. Mm-hmm. Both seasons ended with towns in flames. This, But in this season, it ended with happiness. You right. know, it, it really 
sometimes it isn't rocket science. You just kind of do the other thing and see how it feels. And that felt a lot more earned after everything that they had been through because it, characters go through a lot on this show. I think that for me, I, I completely agree with you. And if the show is done, then, uh, you know, one of the most remarkable turnarounds in TV history, a truly exceptional and interesting, it, it, more than exceptional, just really provoking season not mm-hmm. just thought provoking a, a provocative season in a lot of ways and it ends on a, on a rich note that i think gives people closure certainly seems to give kevin some closure um but part of my affection for the show and this affection is a very recent affection has come from maybe this is a meta way to watch it but i i can't believe those improvements and just in a pure storytelling and tv storytelling um point of view I, I'm just kind of in awe of how it was done. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see that group of writers and producers and actors get another shot at writing themselves out of what seems like, in this case, a comfortable corner. Yeah. Um, I, you know, before we started recording, we were talking about this briefly, and I think that there are ways to expand the canvas, expand the frame, um, maybe leave this town, or maybe just you know shift the focus to the left again maybe we leave some of these characters behind and maybe we pick up other ones yeah the world is a pretty rich and interesting world and some of the best stuff in both seasons not just this season has been the marginalia i mean i did like the stuff that was mostly abandoned in the second season about the government cracking down on the cults yeah and trying to deal with the problem um you know all the sort of like that was a major thing that i was sort of uh, one of the issues that I had was just that, like, four park rangers seemed to be in charge of security for the entire town. It's, along with John and, like, the lynch mob that he kind of had. But, but also, in terms of just, like, staving off, like, an incident on a, you know, a bridge in, a, in America at this time, like, we, we just... That, that seemed odd. It, well, but the security seemed a lot harder earlier in the season. It, well, it brought up a lot of questions where it's, like, the relationship between the world of the leftovers and our world. Mm-hmm. And to what extent you have to give up some of your preconceived notions about reality, quote unquote, versus how much those conceived preconceived notions of reality inform like the world of the show and mm-hmm. shape it. Um, I don't really mind that there were unanswered questions about crickets and birds and not drinking the water and the earthquakes. I liked all that. And you don't you liked all that, but you didn't mind that we didn't figure out like I'm thrilled the we importance didn't. of Holy Wayne's I, 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 baby I, or whatever, right? I, yes, because there's a difference between you know, and this is in many ways what the season, what the show has been about. Certainly, the difference between the, the first season and the second season. There's a there's a difference between, you know, a sort of um, I'll say it, it, I, I used this word positively before, but I was going to say provocation in the sense of um, teasing or throwing stuff against the wall. I mean, the show became about it was there in the title song. It was about accepting the mystery, and I found that kind of beautiful and affecting the season because it was so well grounded and so in the actual emotional lives of the characters that everything else the moving pieces and the gears that led them to these discoveries whether it was the metaphysical afterlife of the hotel or whether it was yeah the magic ground or the magic water yeah those weren't that's the show wasn't about those things you know it it, it, it the the thing that i said many many times about lost and i'll say it again is the show didn't work because the polar bears it worked because of the you know the the, the star-crossed koreans like it, this, it, it, when these shows are about people's emotional relationships, you can you can load on all sorts of crazy. But okay, so if you I'm playing devil's advocate here because I yeah. did like it. I'm just trying to figure this out. Yeah, can you have the leftovers without the crickets and the birds and the earthquakes? Uh you can, you could, but I don't I don't think I would want to. You know, because I like that stuff. I like mystery and what the fuckness and 
and chasing rabbits down rabbit holes to Wonderland or whatever the metaphor but is. But did it feel I, I different like when you were watching Lost and you were like looking up on deep BBS message boards, the biblical illusions that were happening and what that could mean for the future of characters on the show? And it felt... I don't know. It feels different this time around. I don't. I personally. It does. It does feel different. Okay. My issue was never with any of that stuff. It was always with the guilty remnant. It was always. I was not that happy to see them. Not talking of them. That they're not talking was just a very frustrating, dramatic, you know, trick. I thought one that Liv Tyler agreed with. And then between the sort of way the first season played out, and then the space in between seasons, and the fact that the GR are not really in the second season until later in the sort of the back nine of the of the run. I felt like I forgot a lot about their, um, like, philosophy and the reasons why they were doing what they were doing. And I still, to the last moments of the show, were like, I don't really know what Meg is so pissed about. And I, I actually did find a very good, just this is just in case there's anybody out there like me, okay? So this is a explanation that I found on oh. the Leftovers Reddit board. Wow. Written by uh, a user named we-r-adams. Love this Adams. Word. We, is that Ryan Adams? I think it's A A T O M S. Oh, I think it's Ryan Adams' version of of Reddit. Um, <laughs> and he just said, or this this person just wrote, um, don't know if it's a he or she, that this is what the GR believe: a divine power is clearly real and clearly very powerful, whatever it is. Two, a divine power which values the bonds people create with love and family would never orchestrate something like the departure. Right. Therefore, the divine power responsible for the departure does not value love and family. It has no compassion for us and has the power to arbitrarily take them, family, loved ones, away from us whenever they choose, whenever the divine power chooses. Mm -hmm. So all the things that the GR does in reaction to that, about this idea that family is a, a construct and an mm -hmm. appendage or something that's sort of holding us back, ah. that made more sense. Now, And that's where, why Liv Tyler says to Tommy... It's all about it's family. It's all about family because family matters so much and family to us as humans and god or whatever god is has demonstrated his or her contempt for family right that there and she is no seems use to be continuing especially it. aggrieved at least according to the psychic isaac that her mom died the day before the departure and no one cares because she well, wasn't part of that and somehow that that but she was also seemingly a pretty angry person going into this that is, dinner th at the bar and grill with her mom this is why i like this is why I've come around on the show in a lot of ways, because that is a very... What you just laid out is one of the foundational points of the show, regardless of right. whether the Guilty Remnant is on screen or not. And one of the things that I, you know, that I keep coming back to is what's so great about that is that it's, it's actualized something. It's made literal something that actually exists, mm -hmm. which is anyone can go at any time anyway. And right. that is an intolerable condition of human life, right? We just can't think about that, or right. else we would be miserable all the time or start, or start chain smoking. cigarettes, yeah. Um, the other thing is is that grief is not always but grief can be selfish in a way it can be it can it can take on that form and you want the world to feel as deeply as you do you want your pain to be understood or be reflected you know you don't want it to go away because it defines you and it marks you yeah. and it sets you apart and you want and if and if the, if there's anyone if there's a whole town of people who appear to be living in, you know, complete, um, uh, just flagrantly in defiance of you mm -hmm. and your pain, then I understand the desire to target that place. Um, I mean, I understand the dramatic whatever reason why they did. That's all pretty rich stuff. Um, it 
did feel in the finale earned, mm-hmm. but a little gear grindy. You know, in the sense that for me in this season, this is the season that flipped my mind on the show and changed my opinion. It's not going to get better than International Assassin. Right. That was just great. That was so gonzo and over the top and fun. And in a way, it was self-contained and rich. And this episode, you know, that didn't fix or solve things, but it definitely put a bow on them and brought them full circle and brought us back to what got us into this mess in the first place, both in season one and in episode one. And I thought it did so in a way that was consistent, but, you know, it was you could see the gears. Yeah. You could see the gears. And what was so great about some of those episodes is that they were just flying off the machinery altogether. Yeah. Well, I think that... So, one of the things that's been interesting is the discussion about how the ratings for the show have been apparently down. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of feel like, you know, earlier today someone was asking me whether they could just skip straight to season two. A lot of people ask that. Um, and that, I think, is much more indicative of just how competitive the landscape is and how com- how much competition there is for pe- the hours mm-hmm. of people's television watching days. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that this has got almost universal good reviews, I mean, Rich Doswiak wrote something incredibly fawning about it on Gawker today. Alan Seppenwall loved it. I mean, people have it's, been... It's, it's making the top 10 lists yeah, now that they're coming out. Yeah, it's making top 10 lists and, and not even talking about its recovery as much as it's like, this is just a really, really interesting and great show. Yeah, I would say the if the show ended, its legacy is not going to be that it was divisive in the first season. Its legacy is going to be that, oh, wow, this was a magical thing that, that was amazing. Right. It's almost... It's. I wonder if the... The leftover is is almost suffering for for being. It's not that it's suffering for being good in its second season as much as I find the fact that the show went from something that everybody was anticipating and paying attention to and excited for in the first season mm-hmm. to something that you had to like give a second chance to and sort yes. of make time for you, in the second season, only to be rewarded. Honestly, you, but you cannot. I think this is proof. I don't think second chances are really possible right yeah. now on TV. Yeah, they just they simply are not and. You know, if you look at something like Mr. Robot, one of our favorite shows of, of 2015, the ratings were not, the ratings did not reflect the enthusiasm that not just that we felt that the people we spoke to or connected with about the show felt. And, but it's a very, very different place than Leftovers. Even if the ratings were about comparable, like a 1 million people per episode for Leftovers yeah. season one and Mr. Robot season one, 10 times out of 10, you take Mr. Robot's first season and the place that it's in, because what it's coming from is a place where it can build. Yeah. The thing about The Leftovers that stuck no matter what is that it's painful. It's a tough watch. It's a slog. Um, That's true. And I would say that's true about the first half of the second season, too, even though I found it more compelling and more interesting in a lot of ways and and lighter. You can't shake those reputations. You know, um, sorry to come back to it again, but, like, the Americans, the the ratings aren't going to get better. Right. The show is the show, and it's not just that you can't convince well, people to watch now, it because of the Well, it's almost now the tone. Americans actually has, like, what's on, season four or five. It's going to be season four, and so... It has three seasons of reasons saying. not to watch it, you're, because you're, you're just like, oh, I'm so far behind. It's not just that it's a tough watch. It's people are like, wait, so I, have to, I would have to take 36 hours? Yeah. To, to do it? Like, no. But if you tell someone, like Mr. Robot, like, get on board now... Um, I think that this brings us back to the thing we talked about last week, where at some point... Having, you know, these glistening, glittering two or three seasons maybe of The Leftovers in your catalog for future generations to discover at their own pace, you're proud of that. And probably that adds something to your bottom line, whether it's aesthetic or actually financial. But you you come back for season three, you're servicing 
you're you're servicing the show's fans, which yeah. is not a bad thing to do, but you're not growing that audience. You know, one of the th- other things that I was kind of thinking about with Leftovers, but has been I've been thinking about this with a lot of shows recently. What's the last time? I'm going to say this, and then you're going to be like, this is like an obvious answer to this question, but I was trying to think about it. When's the last time a star has been minted on television? Oh, um, well, depend. I mean, Chris Pratt. Okay. Um, you know, I, but that's but it, a really good example. But, but I'm glad that you weren't like, there's a dude yesterday who is now Black Panther, is directing Black Panther and making Ryan Adams. This is 1989. Ryan Adams is directing <laughs> Black Panther, and Ryan Coogler is doing it cover of Taylor Swift's red um no I mean it, but it's a but th- that actually is a whole other conversation that's kind of interesting like TV makes stars all the time in the sense like 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 Rami Malek could have a different kind of career yeah, now and people true. are like that guy's a star solo. wow like that's a thing yeah. um and it's deserving he's awesome but uh Chris Pratt is such an odd example because because there are no movie stars or there are no new movie stars Parks and Recreation, one of the best comedies of the last 20 years, and a wonderful show, and he was fantastic on it. It was not a highly rated show. Yeah. And there aren't that many people. Everyone who watched that show was like, oh, he's great. But no one was like... That's, that's the next dude. He's the dude. Yeah. It, it was really just like, okay. And well, the reason I'm asking is because I think that... I wonder whether something like that would be like a really good reason for Leftover Season 3. Just like outside of... The business reasons, like Regina King's amazing, and you know, Caracoon is incredible, and I really liked Kevin Carroll on the show, and all these people who were on the show, and Justin Theroux was like actually like an underrated leading man. And you think about how hard that role must be, and the you know how many guys could have done all the emotional things Kevin had to do, and then also do International Assassin, and then also sing Simon and Garfunkel, right, and also sing Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, That's but but there's is there a little bit of like. I, I'm I'm playing a lot of devil's advocate here on this just to kind of like kick the tires, but does leftovers have like a little bit of a star power problem? I don't know about that. I mean, I, again, these are these metrics that I would love to know more about. Like, like Halt and Catch Fire is a show that had a great cast and it has them under contract. And I think that part of the decision that AMC made to keep keep it going, it wasn't just a critical claim. It was just like we have these guys under contract. Yeah. And it's a lot of talent to have and to just say vamoose. You know, I mean, you and I know for a fact that like major corporations never like buckle or fold when they have that much talent under contract. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they always continue to reinvest in whatever entity that that talent is making. And dude, I can't think of an example otherwise. No, I know exactly. Um but I think, honestly, unless it's very possible that Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada are just like, yeah, we did it. This has been too hard, but we did what we wanted to do, and we can hold our heads high. It sounded like from what they were saying that they were, they, they still feel like they have a world to discover. They do. And and that, that <laughs> the, Damon the, still had a lot of those, the, like, the answers to the questions. The Leftovers expanded universe. Exactly. Um, to talk specifically about the episode. Goatman origin story. Move, <laughs> yeah. It's probably, it's there to be told. Um I did want to just call attention to one thing in particular, which was I loved that Kevin died again. I loved it. I loved it. I thought... What if that dude had to die every episode? What if he was Kenny? And it was just always in the what, hotel. What if it was like serious South Park? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
I loved it for a couple of reasons. One, that idea of him just waking up there again, it was a little bit video gamey. Yeah. He's like, oh, I forgot to save. Remember you know like, what I mean? the, uh, like, oh, like I it was like the Max again. Payne baby board. <laughs> Remember the Max Payne <laughs> level where you had to find the baby by its voice? And it's like, you gotta do this again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would always get like almost done with it and then like, you know, like I realized that my cigarette was like lighting my pants on fire and I would like lose my lose my life. And this is in real. This is IRL, not in the game. No, this is this IRL. Is, um, this is, these are these are the early PS3 but, days. But there's also it's not just video game. It's also like a little bit dream logic where like if you ever had the feeling where you you knew you were sleeping dreaming and you knew that you ha- but and you were trapped in a dream that mm-hmm. you had before and you're like, oh, God, not again. But I also just thought that seemed to me the scenario where. They're, maybe they're in the room and they're debating what's going to happen here because obviously they've been building to this 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 conflict between um, John and and Kevin in the the palm print. You know, like this is all building coming to a head. We've known it was coming. Kevin knew it was coming, and they were like, "Well, maybe they could have a fist fight, or maybe they could break down and hug, or maybe they could get distracted by Evie." And it maybe at like hour three and lunch two, someone in that room is just like, Killing "What if he just fucking kills him?" That'd be great. And they're like, that's the craziest version of it. Yeah. But of course, that makes it the most interesting version of it. And the way, how quickly it was done. And you have to think there was a little bit of, of uh, Ray Velcoro in, in their heads, too. Because <laughs> anytime you have a chance to like shoot a protagonist point blank in the body and then have them not die on HBO, you got to do it. Um, but, or someone in the room was like, Anytime you have a chance to get Justin through totally naked, again, sliding across the bathroom through. floor How again. How many takes do you think he did of getting out of the tub? How like, many through takes? Like at home before the cameras rolled, <laughs> right? Just just because just Jen, get, just Jen was like to uh, get a nice like a, a nice sheen going on the body. Jen was like these tiles, like I want to get them just buffed perfectly. Um, there there was just something about that that was that that encapsulated everything I liked about Leftover season two, and I didn't like about. Leftover season one, which was it was just sort of Im- gleefully embracing the absurd. It's absurd. It's yeah. absurd that he that he went back. Do you find it to moving? Hotel and do, you, do you find that show moving? I do, and I you know I I said this before when we've talked about it. I think that my dislike of it was so visceral that I think it's that in the way that hate is connected to love. I think it was it was scratching something yeah profound. But I I, I the thing about family and wanting to be with your family and fighting for that and then the secret nightmare at the heart of the show which they came close to or they circled and maybe actually landed on a lot in the first season and stayed away from for the most part in season two which i appreciated which is you know nora's character she lost her children yeah like i can't deal with that as a thought like i just cannot hold that in my head and they tried to make a show about that and that's lurking behind everything and I think that's the most delicate thing that they were able to do in this season, which is they kept that there. They did not run from that, but they found some other ways to articulate the story and the themes. And I think that was what was most impressive. Um, again, we, we can wrap up, but like there were things in the episode that I didn't love. Like I think the show has a tendency to lean a little bit heavily on its music cues and mm-hmm. and the 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 stylistic choice to have the the audio drowned out have the music up and and maybe that's an allusion to Erica's hearing loss and you know that had run through the season but I was a little tired of that by the end I you didn't need another run through where is my mind I, I did not Who knew that was going to be the song of 2015 I, I hope Black Francis's <laughs> attorneys did because it's working out well for him um, but 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're nitpicking. We both wanted to come back. I thought that the last moment between Kevin and John was, was great. I was going to say, that was great. To come over to my house was like really, really perfect note to end on. That's a Given great... The, if you look past like just how much turmoil is still existing and the fact that there is the rave bacchanal from Matrix Revolutions is yeah. happening out in the main street. Yeah. But um, yeah, I really hope it comes I, back for a third season. One of my favorite things that TV can do is when it has you know, flown the story plane all over the map and done all these loop-de-loops and things and has earned them to the point where it can it can land on something simple and true and have it feel totally earned. And the idea of, like, fathers in America who are also neighbors who are part of this community being like, we've made it home, and if I'm alone, I will come to you. And I, I have killed you. And I killed you 10 minutes ago, and you, you know, you're, I'm covered in your arterial blood. And meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile, the, the, I did a real the bad job fire. dressing your wound. Yeah, that was also like, I, what was he doing to the wound? Because he clearly had blood I just, out. That was also like one of the things where it's like you can't really get like a clean gut shot. Not that I know, but I just feel like you can't. Can we have a little like little doctor? Dr. Dr. Chris in here? I'm just saying. Because he did throw a warm towel on it. He did. That was what he did. He did and not that is, clean this. Let me just say this. Since, you know, 15 years running, that has been your number one piece of medical advice for Put a towel on it. any situation. Sometimes the towel's hot, sometimes the towel's cold. Uh, all right, Andy, let's wrap up with this leftovers conversation. You know, we mentioned that we watch a lot of television. There's a lot of competition for television sure. hours. But do you love books? You know what, Chris? <laughs> I'm crazy about books. And not just books. You know, the Leftovers was a book. Do you know that? Yeah, Tom Barada. That's right. Well, do you love books, but you find you never have time to read them? Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while you're on the go. You're on the go right now. I'm currently going. You can do it at the gym, during your commute. Audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers and business information providers. Their app is free, works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and the Windows Phone. You can also download and listen to it on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike streaming or rental service with audible.com, you own your own books, so you can access your books anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com has the great listen guarantee. If you don't like the book you chose and you decide you want, you know, you don't want it anymore, it's no worries. You can just exchange it. And if you, you know, we'll exchange it for another title. Uh, anytime, no questions asked. They have books from Ross Thomas, Dennis Lehane, Don DeLillo, Don Winslow, some big uh, The Watch favorites. You may yeah. have heard about some of those people from us. Um, and you just, for, just for our listeners, if you go to audible.com, they're offering a free audiobook of your choice and a 30 day free trial membership. Go to audible.com slash BSPN to start your free trial today. So, Andy, you just had a four or five hour flight. Six hours. Six hour flight. Plus, you know, I was on the, the, we were taxiing for a long time. I was texting you. I want to try and make this as accessible to other people besides <laughs> I, you as possible. I haven't thought about what I was going to even say. I was just so fired up. <laughs> All right. So I'll vamp for a second while you try to organize your I, I thoughts. I can't. My brain stopped working well, two hours ago. Well, my point is that basically you do so much movie watching on the plane. What makes a good plane movie to you? Um, I see so few movies that I can't distinguish when and where I should watch them. Right. What, what I'm, what I, but here's what I did like about the experience. I was able to curate a nice little double bill. Dude, how nice is it when you can get the playlist going? Of, of films? Of films, yeah. I've never sit still for this long. Right. Like, you, you know, if, even if it's TV, like maybe I have to take notes or something. But this was, this was just pure, pure just connoisseur. I was just watching. The way films were meant to be enjoyed. On a, on a seven-inch screen 
while shaking violently over Utah. Hurtling through space. Yeah, in a tiny sardine can. With a guy, I mean, in a, you in know, an aluminum you know, coffin. I feel like the guy sitting next to me was was uh, former Philadelphia Eagle Vi Sikahima. Like I was pretty sure that's who it was. And uh, did you fly out of Philly? No. Hey, can I say one other thing about this dude? Like, this was one of those flights where you had like a lot of choices. Like, all the movies were available. You know, all, literally all of the movies. <coughs> Side note: Who decides which one? Because you'll be flipping through it, right? Yeah. And it's just like. Um, you know, uh, uh, about a boy is always there in San Andreas. And it'll be like, San Andreas in Italian. It's like, man up with Simon Pegg and Lake Bell. Then it's like, man up in Hebrew. So I'm like, who's the dude at Delta HQ who's like, you know what, that's, that's going to be big in Tel Aviv. Like that, that one we man have to up. offer in Hebrew. Yeah, it's like a little bit. I'm sure bit- that the international distributors of man up, I, I always love it when I, I remember this happened on my last flight to Europe. Oh, well, I didn't realize uh, I was sitting next to Paul Theroux over here. And uh, the, a dude watched the duty-free commercial for 11 hours. Nice. The loop of the, like, when you land, you can buy cigarettes. Like, <laughs> do you think he was just really Jones, like, Nick fitting so badly? I think he was just, like, plotting, like, the bodega he was going to open, you know, but, like. But here's the thing, the guy, so Vi, I'm going to call him okay. Vi, next to me, he had all these entertainment choices, all the entertainment choices in the world. And he spent the entire time looking at iMessage on his phone. Like he was just reading texts that people had sent him. Maybe he was catching up. Maybe he was just like reading like like the true story of what's happening with Chip Kelly's locker room or something. <laughs> and he was going to report on it live from Los Angeles for that no reason. That article is not six hours long. Let's um, read one word per minute. Anyway, I was really, really fired up because I saw uh, this double feature that I cobbled together of Focus mm-hmm. with Will Smith and uh, The Gambler. With Mark Wahlberg. A personal favorite. You know, it's sort of a double bill about rapaciousness. Yeah. In, uh, you know, 21st century. Difficult men. 21st century America. Games of chance and skill. And you, you want to, which one do you want to talk about? I, I have a lot more feelings about the gambler. Here, here's the thing about, let me yeah, start, with, let me start with focus. Okay, yeah. So I just, okay. I love a story about about con i love con stories i love the sting um the oceans movies it's fun i also like big chewy movie star movies you know like this i'm glad will smith was in this movie like this movie needed that kind of uh charismatic performer yeah but it's not a good movie even though major dad kills it by the way major dad really steps up focus is a movie here's a really good here's why focus is not as good as the gambler and no shots of the people who are in this movie because no. And, and can we also just foreground the fact that The Gambler is one of the most disastrously bad movies I've ever seen? It's but in one of, the most, one of my top, top ten films of last year. But one of the most interesting in 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 a very interesting way. Um, but it is a catastrophe of a movie. The people like there's a weird like who couldn't they get for focus? That's a question I had because other than B D Wong, who comes off the bench. And scores like 13 points in 90 seconds. The hottest hand. And it's just like deuces. Yeah. He is the hottest hand. He is really, really the heat check. Um, There's nobody in that movie. Like Margot Robbie is good. There's five people in the cast. And they're all good. But I'm like, where's your John Goodman? But also Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie is very, very fine in everything. I mean, I mean that in, 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 in all senses. Like, obviously, she's a very beautiful person. I mean, very beautiful woman. But she's okay. She's she's fine. 
that movie she's would really be good in Suicide Squad. In that, you're so in on Suicide Squad. <laughs> that movie would have been ten thousand times more interesting with a different type of actor yeah. in that role. But the question is like, who are they looking for? Why did she get that part? Right. There's a lot of questions I have about that. I just remembered that. Now let me say one other thing. I had a lot to drink on this plane. I really drank a lot on this flight because I don't like flying or turbulence. So Wasn't I, it kind of a daytime flight? Yeah, it was all day. And so when I texted you and I landed, I sent you like 30 texts. It was I was just living plane emoji slash you fire emoji. You always text message when you get off a plane like it's your first time ever leaving Philadelphia. You're like, it's so beautiful out here. You Nobody don't, told me. You don't remember, but... I took I took notes. The traffic. I, I took notes on the on gambler. What? You did? <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I don't really want to hear these because you were so angry about it. You were so anti the gambler. Um, the 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 Los Angeles rain is the single most honest thing in this abortion of a film. What? <laughs> I wrote that. It rains in Los Angeles. There's the one scene where he's oh, in right, his bungalow like the landslide. and it's like raining yeah. and there's the landslide. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um. I just have so many questions about it. Can you, you help well, I'm me? I'm the person to ask because I saw it twice in 48 hours in the theater. Why? Because I thought it was just so interesting. And I actually thought that like some of the scenes, like Goodman is on another level in this movie. Good, the Goodman made the whole thing. John Goodman shaving his head. And Brie in, Larson in a, is in very good in a thankless role. The supporting roles are great. And Jessica Lange is fantastic. And Wahlberg is such an interesting choice for this movie because Wahlberg doesn't know what he's saying for the entire film. Like, no. He doesn't know. He doesn't know about Shakespeare. I know that. I know that in my heart. Yes. That Wahlberg does not think about the authorial like legacy of Shakespeare versus Marlowe. No. He does, he does not think about that and has never thought about that and to date has no memory of ever being asked to think about it. The, prob- the fundamental problem with this movie, right, is that both its star and clearly its director think that the main character is cool the main character is not cool the main character is a disastrous wreck of a human right who's bringing down everything around him and cares nothing about his own physical safety or the safety of his family or friends or literally anything except losing a lot amount of money in a very short amount of time right to get rid of the the legacy of his father i mean that's a tough that's a that's a sort of a a, a tough act act one to crack (laughs) you know what i mean william monahan like that's like broken dudes brooding is a is is a tough sell but you needed someone to be like this guy's not cool this guy's a wreck and everyone else around him is just they know what they're doing and they're about their business but the movie thinks that he's cool it's a movie star performance let's bring it back to to focus and it was so odd i i guess what i'm saying is i see so few movies that i've i haven't regrown the muscle where i appreciate fascinating failures yeah. because it certainly was interesting and it's also interesting in the way that um you know this was a remake of a james toback film and when william monahan who did he, he win he won the oscar for the departed right yes and then he he I think so and then he started making his own movies as a director like he london direct, boulevard he, he, he wrote kingdom of heaven for ridley scott right which, if you see the four-hour version is really like a masterpiece really all right so i, <laughs> I don't you have ever get a, i don't have four, four hours hour flight going yeah and he wrote body of lies starring leonardo dicaprio right so, so it, don't it, dismiss my man. I'm just saying it's been. I'm not dismissing him because The Departed is awesome, and you know, he's clearly a very good screenwriter. Yeah. But it's also very, very hard to maintain a career as a screenwriter because you let go and other people touch your stuff and you don't control it. Yes. And that seeped into the movie in a way that was interesting, because there were a couple references just out of the blue and really unnecessary and should have been cut references to like how Wahlberg's novel did 
mm-hmm. and the adaptation and who got points on I it and stuff. Those. Can you imagine Wahlberg like writing book reviews? Can you imagine? Do you see? Did you see the? F- Here's the other thing: <laughs> being a director is really hard because we talked about this when we were talking about Coogs and Creed last week. You got to get out of the way. You got to make strong, honest choices and get out of the you way. You don't think that they made choices in the Gambler? What I'm saying is, at some point, they either stopped making choices or they got railroaded because the choice for Mark Wahlberg's novel, uh-huh. which is basically just like a picture of clouds and then a th- then the entire back cover and most of the spine photo of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Did you notice that? I put it in the window. It's like, skylight. Sure. Like Jonathan Franzen's third novel, the font used on the name Franzen is like 72 point. But, but my man won the National Book Award. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it wasn't his debut. His debut, his name was Itty Bitty. My uh, my favorite part of The Gambler is its take on college athletics. <laughs> Talk about it. So I went back and watched a little bit about it, and it's incredible how much of this movie is dominated by this fake USC's athletic department. Yeah. So uh, best character in the, in the film is definitely Emery Cohen, who is in uh, Place Beyond the Pines and is in the, currently in theaters Brooklyn. He plays mm-hmm. Dexter, who is like the kind of oh my doughy... God moron kid who's also kind of smart in the english class yeah who also winds up being the number two ranked college tennis player in america yeah. which says a lot about where the usta's head is at right now <laughs> and whether or not we're developing real totally. talent this guy like <laughs> like seriously you just you just eat a couple more of these pop brownies you might be marty fish yeah seriously like you could Our, do this michael chang wept okay <laughs> it's a really strong point so that's funny and then the dude who's like i got a knee the basketball player love that guy and then when they 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 basically eventually the you'd think that it's because it's the gambler that the film would hinge on some sort of teddy kgb mike mcd cards showdown yeah and it does have some of that but it actually hinges on a 20 minute college basketball game Mm -hmm. scene which this kid is gonna maybe throw for mark Mm -hmm. Wahlberg's character and like their version of like college hoops and how easy it is to throw a game or shave points or, or bring your way back into the game right yeah exactly it was incredible i love that part michael k williams is really good in the movie everybody's good in this movie everybody's good in the movie Do you, can we talk about how andre brower is in the movie for yeah, one so scene I, you, you haven't probably read the script right <laughs> <laughs> who are you <laughs> have you read the script i'll send you the pdf later brower's you, uh... character and um leland orser's character Who's he play? He's not in the movie. <laughs> what the? F- <laughs> but in the trailer, you see him. What can you tell me about? The- Actually, that was like one of the reasons why I went to see it again was because I was like, "How did I miss the Leland Orser scene?" Can I ask? Because I think I went to go get some popcorn. You and the rest of America, my friend. Can I ask you something? Where are you at on getting popcorn in the middle of a movie? Way out. Yeah. Second question: <laughs> Where are you on the current status of the Gambler Expanded Universe? <laughs> Like, how much time do you want to live you tell, here? You, you, I, check out my final draft. <laughs> you think I don't have a couple of saved drafts of, like, Gambler 2 still gambling? <laughs> <laughs> this time it's for the money? This t- <laughs> no, no, this time I want the money? This time I don't want to lose the money? Gambler 2, where the fuck are you running? Yeah, Gambler 2, Orser and Brower season. <laughs> Gambler 2, they come to clean up. It's like the illicit Koreatown and it's blackjack just all, dens. It's soundtracked by Ryan Adams to Pimp a Butterfly. Yes. <laughs> and it's just, how much of it is just Brie Larson just sadly shaking her head? In her weird apartment on Wilshire, yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it's it's you it like just, this movie i like talking to you about it i wish that i had remembered how much you liked it when i watched it yeah because it wasn't that fun to watch because <laughs> Wahlberg is it's so crazy his performance and the movie just it doesn't make sense but there's just not enough movies like that anymore it's all of it is some stupid cape shit where it's yeah, just this like is, oh you're right this is actually what I want to say I have these say. powers they're I, so corrupting you know like it's I, just I like let me get these, some gambling I watched these two movies which were both about gambling yeah and it made me realize why they only make movies about dinosaurs now and How superheroes because in, this is really hard yeah. stuff there should be four to nine solid B minus B movies like these two movies. Yeah. Like either just like stars just We're messing so around. We're just like, they should serve our interests more by making no, but they're used more to... con man and poker movies. We have our own show. We can ask for that. <laughs> but true. Check but, your privilege. Andy. But the problem is, is that you get, there's so many, this is the thing that I, I have a hard time with movies and I'm glad I don't cover them. Like even if theoretically, if yeah. I were to watch them, they all can go wrong in so many ways and you can't fix it yeah you know what i mean like you you just there's a moment you know in this movie where they must have known they must have known whether it was day one of shooting whether it was the day Wahlberg showed up in the classroom and said camus (laughs) camus is the stranger and they were like cut that's so dope when he's just like lying on his desk classic english teacher style that's like do you you know remember like how we didn't like the fifth season of the wire that much you know, many people share that opinion. But one thing we wondered, maybe we didn't like it so much, is because it we was kind of knew a little bit it was about journalism. About yeah, and we were sure. like, oh no, yeah, or maybe yeah, yeah. like drug dealers and cops were watching the first few seasons, being like, oh no. You didn't like Mark Wahlberg infringing on your knowledge of cool English teacher. No, I'm saying, what do you think English teachers just think every day? Because the way they are represented in media is. We both have an answer to this question. I just want to check with Tate. Tate, in your life, did you have a cool English teacher who smelled a little bit like camel lights and like? Would like take you outside and talk to you a little bit about Catcher in the Rye. Oh yeah, I had an awesome English. It's it's a yeah. it's a uniform American experience. Yeah, it's cool English teacher. Yeah. I wish I wish I still knew a cool English teacher. Maybe cool, I should become one. Cool English teachers are very very important. Yeah. Like cool English teachers can have an enormous effect, but you don't have to do it with like a shiner and lying down on your desk and telling <laughs> and telling people that Brie Larson is the only talented person in the room probably because she looked good in like a, a, a Chinese waitress get up at three in the morning you know um I know how I would she hits on him and I he's know like, how would, we, we, can we just say Brie Larson is just like how can I begin an inappropriate relationship with you and he's basically like sex is a thing I don't do anymore that's dope <laughs> that's so nice. I love it I love it real real gamblers are celibate uh <laughs> We would have, even how would you, okay so to fix focus you would have swapped out like Aya Cash for Margot Robbie or somebody like or whatever and then make the BD Wong scene an hour and a half long where they just keep doubling down on Super Bowl but, prop but also they had so much fun writing the first third of the movie yeah and then all of a sudden it's three years later and there's like race cars yeah and Major that was Dad. just weird that was and like another movie that serious they onto now yeah. and he's like deeply in love with her and it's not fun anymore so who would you have to fix the gambler who would you replace Wahlberg with um wait i just want to see the other thing about about both like the script of focus may have been good but what if soderbergh had directed it i mean you could say about any movie and it would just been like amazing it would be better so but, did, you, were, did you text me about that last night or was i having another conversation where it was like what if soderbergh directed that was that was me i okay. text in that <laughs> my, voice my bad that's the voice you have on your ways too dude, dude what if soderbergh turn directed on, this turn on gower um um how would how, what if what if Coogs does gambler 2 <laughs> this time it's for the money <laughs> and the follow-up to creed 
is Ryan Coogler's deep dive into the expanded gambler universe. Oh my god, it would be so good. Oh my god, it would be so good. And this no, time Michael B. Jordan plays, plays Michael K. Williams' son. Okay. Right? Yeah. And he grew up with his mother in Philadelphia. No, and he let's, comes let's to Los like Angeles. Use our imaginations. I mean, Coogs is like, what's up? How do I expand this gambler universe? And we're like, he's in, he's from Phil- no it's like okay, we get- well, okay well obviously he's a college professor <laughs> yes. because that's the only interesting thing because here's the thing about gambler he's Andre Brower's son yes he's, he's becoming an associate because professor. the gambler is about academia really yeah that's what it's mostly about um and, and it's first of all it should be about collegiate tennis right yeah there's so many things that it could be about maybe gambling maybe just what was the movie about Chris it was about authorship what i'm just kidding i don't know that's why there has to be a gambler too and we should uh we should wrap up i I am on fumes now i i i'm so i I should have known better like i wandered into this minefield of (laughs) of something that you love you know and i i feel chastened i need you to respect my interests oh but Uh, here's what you said to me i said what if soderbergh directed focus and you said what if ruffalo had starred in the gambler yeah fixes almost everything what if that's a great expanded universe of my mind this time it's for the money andy we will be back next week probably to talk a little bit of homeland maybe we'll get jessica jones maybe we'll talk a little man in the high castle i know we've been getting a lot of requests maybe we'll have uh, some special guest we might we might do some year-end stuff los angeles it's a special place anything could happen out here uh thanks for coming by take us out tate great job Baranski. stand up and walk now